0: Welcome, everybody, to the Cato Institute. I'm Ian Vasquez, Vice President for International Studies. Cato has had a long uh, and special relationship with Hong Kong. Hong Kong holds a special place in the hearts and the minds of everybody that works at the Cato Institute and, indeed, any freedom-loving people around the, the world. The territory rose from extreme poverty to becoming one of the richest places on earth within the span of just a a few generations. And it did so by upholding the rule of law and by upholding the whole range of economic and personal liberties, making it one of the freest places on earth for many, many decades. And in many ways, Hong Kong really was a model uh, for a free and prosperous society. So it's not surprising that over many years the Cato Institute would have had so many events and uh, conferences there, and maintained what uh, became very fruitful relationships with journalists, scholars, entrepreneurs, and and even policymakers. One of the most uh, fruitful of those relationships was indeed with uh, Jimmy Lai, a friend of the Cato Institute and a friend personally of many of us here. Jimmy was always a generous and uh, uh, congenial host whenever we visited Hong Kong. But more importantly for Hong Kong, he became a real champion of freedom, especially so when Beijing began its crackdown on the territory and subsequently with the loss of freedom there. Tonight's documentary by the Acton Institute is uh, Jimmy's story. It tells his story and it depicts the dramatic contest between uh, freedom and power that his struggle represents. The film also helps explain why uh, the Cato Institute, earlier this year, awarded Jimmy uh, the Milton Friedman Prize for Advancing Liberty uh, that we gave him at our biennial gala event. We were honored that his son, Sebastian Lai, was there to receive it, indeed. Uh, As we watch the film, keep in mind that Jimmy Lai has been in jail for more than a 1,000 days on trumped-up charges, and he's awaiting trial, a trial that has already been postponed a couple of times, um, and that could end up in a life sentence for him. After the film, uh, we're going to have a brief discussion with the producer, Eric Cohn, and uh, with Simon Lee, a longtime uh, colleague of Jimmy Lai's. So let's watch the film and we'll be discussing
1: it uh, right afterwards. Thanks very much.
0: Now to uh, be joined by Eric Cohn and Simon Lee. Uh, Eric Cohn is the producer of the film we just watched. He's also the director of marketing and communications at the Acton Institute. And uh, he's the executive producer of Acton's podcast network, where he hosts a a roundtable discussion, Acton Unwind. He has been the director of community management at the Illinois Policy Institute, and was also the founder and CEO of Curious Task Strategies, which was a public affairs consulting firm. And Simon Lee um, has had a, a lot of different roles, spanning media, business strategy, and cultural advocacy. He uh, was an d- editorial columnist at Apple Daily, a longtime colleague of, of Jimmy Lies. He worked closely with him. In 2020, Simon uh, relocated to the United States and established Unsubject, which is a, a sort of a media and education startup. Uh, he, has, uh, he is the director of Hong Kong Media Overseas, which is a group that advocates for press freedom and journalistic integrity. And he's also a co-founder of the Lion Rock Institute, which is a free market think tank in Hong Kong. I don't remember what year you founded it. 2004. 2004. I remember uh, we probably know each other from about that time. And uh, at the time, of course, Hong Kong was very free and I, I was joking with him. You know, I typically work with people who are in think tanks in places like Venezuela or the Middle East. And here he is with his colleagues in one of the freest places on the planet advocating for more freedom. uh, And that was really impressive. Of course, things have really changed uh, since then. Uh, I'll start out, uh, Eric, by asking you Why did you make this film and what has been the reaction, including possibly by the Hong Kong
1: authorities or China itself? I have a friend who says that uh, for everything that you do in life, there are two reasons. There's the good reason and the real reason. Uh, The good reason that we made this film is because I think we need stories of people who are willing to do the heroic things that Jimmy is doing I am always struck by the line in the film from um, Lord Patton who says of Jimmy and his family, but Jimmy particularly, that he's been incredibly principled and brave, and I wish I could think that I would have been as brave. And you just hear this from this incredibly dignified and impressive man, th- this understanding in, in his voice and what he's saying that I could not do the things that Jimmy is doing. And I think we need to tell stories of people who are willing to do those kinds of things at great cost to themselves. Mm -hmm. The real reason we made the film, which is also a good reason, uh, is that we were very close to this story. Um, Chris Maurin and Father Sirico, who you saw in the film, are co-founders at the Acton Institute, are longtime friends of Jimmy's. The uh, interview footage that you saw of Jimmy sitting on the couch... Uh, telling his life story. That was from a film that we made 15 years ago called The Call of the Entrepreneur, where he talked about his entrepreneurial journey and how he built all of these businesses. Uh, We'd interviewed him a handful of times after that. And uh, including, I think, for the last time in 2020, we interviewed him for Acton University, which is our big flagship conference that we typically host every summer in Grand Rapids. But we were online that year because of the pandemic. And because we had all of this interview footage and because we knew him so well, we figured we were in this really unique position to be able to tell this story. So we really felt called to highlight Jimmy's story and what was happening in Hong Kong. And, you know, I, I for good reasons and bad reasons over the last decade in the United States, we've been a very inward looking nation. I would like to think that in different times, we would be as uh, focused on what has been going on in Hong Kong as we were on what was happening in Eastern Europe in the 1980s under Soviet domination, and we really hope that the film is a catalyst for more attention being paid to what is going on in Hong Kong. What
0: has been the reaction
1: uh, to the film, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad or in
0: Hong Kong or
1: even China? It's been well-received. I mean, we've uh, the film itself has been streamed about 3 million times online since we released it publicly in April of this year. Uh, we have been mentioned in some Chinese uh, official publications. The Acton Institute has. Uh, they, they are well aware of us. Um, we had a denial-of-service attack uh, at the Acton Institute maybe about uh, two years ago, around the time that we were in the midst of making this film. I can't say for certain that that was China that did that, but you know, you tell me what you think. Uh, so I think it's been well-received. Um, we won about uh, 12 laurels from film festivals that we submitted it to, mm-hmm. um, quite humbled by that. And uh, you know, continue to, with Jimmy's trial coming up, uh, put it out there and try to draw as much attention to the film and to Jimmy's story as we can. Yeah, great. Simon,
0: um, we've mentioned that he has a trial coming up that he's been sitting in jail now for, for so long. What is the status of his trial and his
2: case? Uh, the trial will take place um, on 18 December. So it will be next month. Uh, it's been delayed for more than one year. And Jimmy has been um, in, in prison for more than a thousand days. Um, that's all we know and because there are still a lot of uncertainties. We'll never know if there will be a further postponed and um, unnecessary delay. But what I can add is that the government is trying to do everything they can just to make life difficult. Um, Part of the reason why the case was postponed until today was because um, Jimmy picked a barrister from the UK and the Hong Kong government says, no, you cannot choose your own barristers. And I think there is one very important um, um, signal here. Um, in, in the film, we also talked about Hong Kong's last line of defense was probably the rule of law, but we can see the rule of law is no longer there. I, I don't know what's left in Hong Kong now. And, um, there had been many different um, political uh, prosecutions been going on. And even like yesterday, there was one of our former colleagues, um, she worked for another newspaper and in one of the assignments she did in China, uh, just recently, and she disappeared. And she disappeared for three weeks already and no one knows what's going on. And that has just recently happened to, people in Hong Kong. So the, the suppression is ongoing and it is not only against Jimmy, but people who faintly remotely related to um, Apple Daily, the movement or anything.
0: Uh, Jimmy's uh, trial is also, and Jimmy's case, represents a case against a major entrepreneur, not just uh media representative. You you mentioned the clear violations against uh, freedom of expression, certainly freedom of association and, um, and uh, assembly. Um, but one thing that, that Hong Kong has also been known for uh, has been economic freedom. Is it possible for economic freedom to remain high under these conditions? Is it already being being affected, uh, certainly the rule of law is a part of economic freedom. What do you see happening
2: in that regard? Uh, I've been actually looking into the details of the economic freedom index regarding Hong Kong. I noticed a few things. Firstly, the, the, um, the section that is about the rule of law and the judiciaries. Hong Kong's been in the decline not since it was it was in the decline since 90s. So, but the, the the issue is on other respects, Hong Kong seems to be doing so well. But that should just be temporary because um, if I look at other subsectors like uh, the government intervention in in different areas, uh, Hong Kong is deteriorating very rapidly. Um, I think institutions do support each other in some form and you cannot just take away one thing and then having other parts uh, remain intact. It is not the case. Um, so Hong Kong is in, in in a very bad shape, I would say.
1: With, with regard to the economy yeah. in Hong Kong, it- I think the same rule has to apply now that applies to China. Derek Scissors over at AEI, I know he always says when he's asked to talk about the Chinese economy, mm-hmm. he starts with, if the numbers that they tell us can be believed and they can't, here's what's going on. I think we have to regard what is going on in Hong Kong now in very much the same way. But the, the problem, I mean, we, make, we get this analogy now, this connection between the Cold War, between the Soviet Union and China and the way people talk about this. The big difference to me is economic concerns. The Soviet Union was married to an economic model that was never going to take them very far, and what we have seen from China is a willingness to liberalized markets to the extent that it allowed them to grow much richer, that it allowed them to bring in a lot of foreign investment to build up uh, meshed economies and trade with other nations that was just never possible with the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And that creates the dilemma that was, I think being highlighted at the end of the film of what do we do about this now? And it's, there's no easy answer, I think, to that question.
0: That's right. Um, I think it's hard to imagine that uh, economic freedom is not going to be negatively affected by, uh, what is happening now.
2: And I want to add one more thing. Um, And probably some of you might notice it talks about one country, two systems. And to be honest, the two systems uh, in the text was uh, socialism and um, capitalism. That was like being written in the basic law. A lot of people thought that was a promise to Hong Kong people so that we will feel safe that, okay, uh, we will remain different and so, but part of the nation. But think about that. One country, many systems, we have that kind of thing all over the world. We call that federalism. And, but the Chinese government make a big deal about it and say, oh, this is like something we have never seen before. And I was always think that maybe it is, we look at it the other way around. The one country, two system was actually a firewall. The Communist Party designed so that it can access to the global economic system without itself being changed. And that actually was pretty successful. China can remain an authoritarian regime, but using Hong Kong as the access to the global financial market. And, but up to a certain point, Hong Kong becomes not useful to China, especially when China thought, oh, we could have done that. We have Beijing stock exchange. We have Shanghai stock exchange. Actually, right before all these happen, Beijing talks about, well, we have another 20 financial centers in China. We don't need Hong Kong. That was exactly what they thought about. But look at what is going on in the past few years. I think the relationship between China and the rest of the world changed a lot. And that Hong Kong being the first to witness the change and that's pretty much what happened.
0: That's certainly um, a perspective that we can look back on and and interpret in that way. It's not at all clear to me that that was something that was preconceived uh, and and that that was the path that, that, that China had chosen originally. Um, it's, it's quite possible that uh, things changed along the way in the, in the way that you just uh, described it. You know, you, you mentioned that uh, statistics and numbers from China can, can be made up or not reliable. Another part of the problem that we're seeing is that the Chinese government has stopped providing basic data and so we're not getting a full picture of what's actually going on there, and they're not providing the kind of data on, let's say, government spending or subsidies or that kind of thing that they don't want the rest of the world, particularly the West, uh, to see. And that too is distorting our interpretation of what's going on there. We have time for a couple of questions that uh, I'd like to take from the audience. So if you have a question, raise your hand and wait for the microphone to come by. Somebody will have a microphone. And uh, when the microphone gets to you, please um, identify yourself and your affiliation. We'll take a question from over here, uh, your, your affiliation, and then ask uh, your question. The mic is coming. The, this person right here, please. Thank you.
2: Hi, I'm Deborah Weiss. I'm a lawyer. Just do a lot of work on uh, free speech advocacy. I was just wondering if you have any idea of how Jimmy Lai is being treated in prison. Do you have any information on, is he being beaten? Is he given three meals a day, or what's the situation? Uh, As far as I know, nothing like that. It's not like beating him up, but small things, like he wants, rice for dinner and then instead they give them noodles and something like that. So, uh, intentionally not fulfilling what he wants. Um, he wants some paper, then they give them a book or something. So something like that. Yeah.
0: What is the, uh, Hong Kong community, including outside of Hong Kong doing, um, to
2: promote its cause? Um, when I was like watching this documentary for i don't know how many times, but at the um the second half, uh, they were like showing the scene of city of Hong Kong, and I don't know why suddenly that reminds me uh, the 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 fictional world in Eglistru when everyone talks about leaving and and who' John gold stuff, but you know what what we are doing now, leaving Hong Kong, um, what I realized was um, after Hong Kong people left Hong Kong, they suddenly cherished the idea of freedom. So it is not like people who knows what freedom is, leaving uh, the city, going to the uh, uh, the, the, uh, John Gold's place. No, it was not like that. It was like people on the process of leaving it suddenly realize, oh, that is freedom. And we have now a very strong uh, population of like, freedom-loving Hong Kong people living all over the world in Canada, in the UK, here, some of us, um, um, Australia. I'm trying to bring them into our movement and let them be more involved in um, the public affairs, where they are living in Canada, here, or um, in the UK. I hope, I I remember the first edition of Apple Daily in the editorial, it was, it said we belong to Hong Kong as a place. And now if we have Apple Daily again, I think we'll say we belong to the Hong Kong people, but, The Hong Kong people, I think, represents the idea of freedom that once was a place, but now um, spreading around in different places and see how we can contribute to that. At the end of the day, China goes after not the place or a group of people, but the idea of freedom. And so um, I think, now, more of us are contributing to the cause of freedom. Well put. We're going to
0: be continuing to do what we can at the Cato Institute to contribute, and I'm afraid we've run out of time, but I want to thank all of you for joining us, and especially Eric and Simon for joining us, and Eric and the Acton Institute for producing this great film. Uh, please uh, thank them for joining us and, and join us at the Winter Garden for a brief uh, reception.